It's the ninth inning of the World Series, and the game is tied. Someone you love is in surgery, and the hours go by. You've just finished an exam in a tough class or endured an oral questioning for a license to practice, and you don't know the results yet. It's 1 a.m., and your teen is still out. You've had the ultrasound, and the doctor asks you to come in for a visit. You shared with your girlfriend or boyfriend that what it is that you need, and they reply, I need some time to think. It's November 2020, and we have an election, and we have COVID, and we have economic devastation. I could go on and on and on and on, but I don't need to because each breath we take in life means we're living. And when we live, we live day in and day out with uncertainty. Uncertainty is inherent and part of what it means to be a human being. To deny this or to pretend that it is not the way that it is most of the time is in fact not to be in touch with reality. Marjorie Mead writes, circumstances such as war or a pandemic do not create a new reality. They simply bring the actual reality home more forcefully. The truth remains that whether our outward circumstances appear to be calm or whether we are being buffeted in the midst of a storm, we are still mortals living in a fallen world subject to numerous things apart from our control. And on this point, C.S. Lewis in England in the 1940s wrote this. Some of you ask, how are we to live in the atomic age? Why well, I'm tempted to reply, why you live as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. You would live as you lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat by night. You live as you already are living in the age of cancer, paralysis, and air raids. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. Indeed, like it or not, and I'm not sure that I always like it, uncertainty is how it is, how it has always been, and how it will always be in the future, this side of the kingdom of God. And as C.S. Lewis implies, history invites all of us today not to exaggerate the novelty of our current situation. C.S. Lewis also invites us to pull it together. And while this might sound harsh if we're hurting or filled with angst, through my own anxiety over these days, I have to say I agree. There are moments that I know I need to pull it together, although not alone, but with God's help. And I would also add that strangely enough that I am coming to finally understand in my life that uncertainty, in fact, can be one of the greatest gifts that there is if we respond to it through a lens of faith. So this morning for a few moments as we live with great uncertainty, although let's not exaggerate the current circumstances, as C.S. Lewis suggests, as we live with great uncertainty in this country and in the world for a variety 
of well-known reasons. For a few moments this, this morning, let's explore the gift of uncertainty together. First, with Scripture, it's important to point out that Scripture is a story that certainly outlines what we can know. It outlines things that we can count on, like we are forgiven. Eternal life is our destiny. Love is what matters the most. These are things that are known, that we can count on and stand upon as solid rock. But from the beginning of the, beginning of the Bible to the very end, there is something else that is made crystal clear. And that is that uncertainty is part of what it means to be a human being. And that in fact, God sometimes creates uncertainty. And that we always have a choice as to how we respond when we don't know what's going to happen next. I believe we all understand that uncertainty is part of life and that the unknown is how it is. But briefly, what about the part where I said that God sometimes creates what we perceive to be uncertain? Well, for every person I can think of in Scripture deals with uncertainty and the unknown. And what's interesting to me is in so many stories in Scripture, God is the one who propels people into situations that don't have clarity. There's so many examples God asked Abraham and Sarah to upend their lives at an old age and head out into a completely unknown future. God called David away from home as a shepherd to become the leader of a nation even though he hadn't led anything. God compelled Nehemiah to return to his war-torn home to rebuild without having the first idea of how to accomplish such a task. God asked a woman named Hagar to return to a very uncertain and challenging situation. God told Moses, go to Egypt, liberate my people. Moses had no clue what that entailed. God asked Hannah to leave her recently weaned baby boy with a priest at a temple not knowing what the future held. Through Elijah, God asked a destitute widow to hand over all she has left to Elijah when it makes no sense to do so. God inspires Esther to risk her life for the good of her people. And God asks a prostitute to risk her life to bring about the dawn of a new era. Jesus asks decently employed people to leave everything they know behind and follow him. Jesus asks Paul to let go of his entire belief system and totally redo his life and what he had been up to. And then in our two readings today, the bookends of Jesus' life, our experiences that fill those that were there with profound uncertainty and lack of clarity. In the Gospel of Luke, we heard snippets of the story of the birth of Jesus and his resurrection. In the story, God asked Mary to let go of her life plans as she will become Jesus' mother. Can you imagine the profound lack of clarity and uncertainty and unknown? She must have faced. Then the risen Jesus on Easter morning appears to Mary Magdalene at his tomb. Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, don't flip out or be afraid. <laughs> really? Go run and tell my disciples what you have seen and that I'm on my way to see them. What do you mean, Jesus? 
And all this happens during a massive earthquake. These bookends of Jesus' life highlight that following Jesus and living life is inherently filled with uncertainty. And that sometimes God is behind it. Now it's essential to point out that when God is the driver of the uncertainty we face, it's because God knows who we are and God has something for us to do. When God is behind the uncertainty we face, God does so because God wants to lead us to a place of purpose and fulfillment and love. God only wants what is best for us, and sometimes the uncertainty we face is the most direct path to such a place, even when we are not necessarily thrilled by what is happening. That said, and all of this said, I also need to be clear this morning that certainly God is not behind all the uncertainty we face. Sometimes the unknowns we deal with are because of the actions and or misdeeds of others. Sometimes the unknowns and lack of clarity we are dealing with is due to the broken nature of human beings. Sometimes the difficulties and the unknowns that we're facing are the consequences of our own choices. And sometimes what is before us is due to evil itself. But I believe that it's important for us to remember this. Uncertainty can happen for all kinds of reasons. Yet despite the reason for why we may be dealing with a certain lack of clarity, I believe it can be a great gift if we approach the uncertainty we're dealing with through the lens of faith and if we keep a few things in mind, day in and day out. Now this morning, I, I want to touch very briefly on five things that I think we need to be paying attention to right now in this time of great upheaval and uncertainty. Clearly, there's a lot more I could talk about, but these five things struck me as being pretty relevant right now. And these five things that I want to talk about this morning, in the midst of what we're dealing with, have to do with trusting God, emoting, not fearing, connecting, and loving. Trusting God, emoting, not fearing, connecting, and loving. And I believe that when we engage in these actions, when we make the choice to put these actions front and center in our day in and day out life, that good things and blessings will come about even when we're dealing with something that is seemingly anything but positive or good on the surface. So let's look at the hardest first, perhaps. Trusting God. Trusting God, even for people I have known of great faith, can be a challenge at times. It is for all of us at times. Trusting God does not mean that pain goes away, or that we become Pollyannish, or that we deny reality about the seriousness of what is happening. Trusting God doesn't mean that we sometimes don't have doubts or don't have big-time questions for God. But at its core, trusting God is about making a volitional decision. We can choose how to be each and every day. It is about making a volitional decision day in and day out. I choose to trust you, God. Yet it can also include asking God for help in such trust. But remember, trust at its core is about making a volitional decision. I trust you, God. 
Now, I've mentioned this before on different occasions, but C.S. Lewis was going through a very tough time. And as was often the case for him, he spent much time writing about his challenges and his path through his pain. And one day he wrote the following in paraphrased form. He wrote the fundamental turning point in my life. Just think about that phrase. The fundamental turning point in my life was when I said to God, if you want me to trust you, I can't get there on my own. God, you have to help me trust you. You have to give me that trust. God, I can't. You must. That was the fundamental turning point for C.S. Lewis' life through all the times of upheaval and pain and suffering that he went through. He knew that he needed to make a decision to trust God, and he knew that he couldn't do it alone, that he needed God's help. But he also knew that trusting God is also about believing that God is with us and making the choice to believe that, that God is deeply involved in whatever is going on, that the ultimate outcome will be what it needs to be, that we will not be alone, that God will bring about good even if all we can see at the moment is bad, that God knows what God is doing, that God is in charge and in control. Believing such things or asking God for help, as C.S. Lewis did, dramatically affects how we live each and every day and how we deal with uncertainty. When we make the decision to trust God and ask God for help in trusting God, more than anything else, it brings about peace in the midst of turmoil and pain and lack of clarity. And it expands our perspective and helps us see things we might not otherwise see. But aside from making a decision to trust God, I believe it's important for all of us now to emote, to express our feelings. Uncertainty, lack of control, not knowing how something is going to go, all create a litany of very potent feelings for most people that are emotionally connected with themselves. And such feelings can even happen in the midst of trusting God. Let us remember that Jesus screamed out at God in the grimmest of times. He screamed out at God. Let us remember that God pleaded with God through tears, please change this situation right now, God. Let us remember that Jesus wept and cried. Let us remember that Jesus yelled and ranted. And throughout Scripture and history, one characteristic of those with great faith was and is a willingness to emote feelings and wrestle with God, to be honest and to be vulnerable with God. Given all of this, when we don't know what's going to happen regardless of the source, I believe God wants us to get it all out and to get it all out with gusto and intention and intensity with God. It's a way of honoring our humanness, our frailty, our need for God. It's a way of cleansing ourselves. It's a way of making more room for God. This thing about emoting is also an invitation for us to get honest about what it is that we're feeling. So often, so many of us just stuff it way down or pretend everything is okay. And in times of uncertainty, that is the last thing we should be doing. 
So God invites us to emote with God. Aside from trusting God and emoting, there is the massive challenge of releasing fear. Now this is something that I've talked about often in a variety of settings. And while fear is understandable and human, it is not our biggest ally. It is in fact one of our worst enemies. Yes, fear can keep us from jumping off a cliff or taking a serious risk, but fear is something that God invites us with God's help to let go of. As I've said before and as many others have pointed out, God says do not fear or fear not more than any other command in Scripture. Not any other command even comes close. God has given us minds to challenge fear. God has given us courage to confront fear. God has given us the ability to act in the midst of fear. God has given us mouths to express our fear. Knees to pray about our fear. Help to manage our fear when we can't alone. God has given us scriptural verses to serve as mantras to combat fear. Verses such as, do not be anxious. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not be worried about anything. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be strong and courageous. Do not let your heart be troubled. Uncertainty, the unknown, lack of clarity are breeding grounds for fear, which is why we need to make the intentional choice to confront it with all the tools we have that we've been given by God to make the choice to challenge fear, to know that it's not of God. Well, aside from making the choice of trusting God with God's help, of emoting and getting it all out and letting go of fear, there is the opportunity of responding to our times right now with intentional connecting. And on the surface, this may be a little strange, but let me get into it a bit. Part of the reason we're hurting right now is because we're having a trouble connecting with others. But that said, and I want to comment on that, connecting with other people is why we were created to begin with. On the continent of South Africa, for a long time, there's been a celebrated concept called Ubuntu. Now, Ubuntu is something that has served as the basis for much healing in a variety of places in Africa through times of great upheaval and uncertainty. South Africa's Desmond Tutu, in defining Ubuntu, wrote with slight adaptations, Ubuntu is difficult to render into Western language. Yes, it's about being friendly, it's about caring, it's about being compassionate, but fundamentally it's about realizing that my humanity is inextricably bound up in yours. I am a human being because you are a human being. I am a human being because I belong. We are human because of each other. And without each other, we are not human. In other words, we were created for relationships. And we are human beings precisely because of our inherent nature to connect and have relationship with other people. Relationships, in fact, define who we are. And without people, we're not human. Without people, we cannot be defined. We are who we are. We are human beings because of and through others. So we are totally interdependent upon each other. 
Desmond Tutu and others have also suggested a theological basis for Ubuntu. God is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And over the centuries, people have described the inner nature of God as a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, the essence of God is relationship itself between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we are made in the image of God, we are made for relationships because we reflect the nature of God. We are created for connection. Enter COVID. In this time of uncertainty, connecting has been made difficult. But there's nothing more important perhaps, than we should be doing. When we turn into relationships and are very intentional about nurturing those relationships, we, in fact, are getting back to the foundations of who God created us to be. And it is one of the best ways to deal with uncertainty and lack of clarity is to connect. Now, I know that our opportunity to gather together is limited. Is limited. But as I've been thinking about this, we have more ways to connect with other human beings now than at any other point in history. I want you to think about that. We have more ways now to connect with other human beings than at any other point in history. Imagine it's 1830. There's no telephone. There's no Zoom. There's slow mail but there are very limited ways to connect with each other. And so I think part of what we need to do at this time is to be more intentional about being more creative, about connecting more with people that matter to us. It will help us be resilient in this time of uncertainty and give us ground to stand upon. And finally, one of the best things to do when faced with uncertainty is to respond by being intentional about love. Here's this well-known verse from the first letter of John. No one has ever seen God, but if we love, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. When we love, God is in us. So when we want to get close to God during this time of uncertainty, love. When we want to feel God's presence within us, Love, don't worry, love. Don't fret, love. When we want to get in touch with God and God's guidance, love. And when dealing with the angst of the unknown, when not knowing what to do or where to turn, God invites us to respond by loving other people, but also by loving ourselves through gentleness and self-compassion. And the more we love, the more we discover God's presence because God is love. God invites us when we are immersed in our own stuff, and uncertainty can get us to turn inward, instead to turn outward, and to love. This is a very difficult time we're in, as we all know. But then it's always been that way. Current circumstances are just making it perhaps more important, uh, more apparent, as has been said. But I believe uncertainty can be a great gift. Because if we respond to this time with intention, not reaction, but with intention, if we respond by making a decision to trust God, if we respond by letting our feelings out and being vulnerable with God, if we respond by dealing with fear head on, 
if we respond by being very intentional about connecting with people, if we respond by turning away from ourselves instead loving others, among other things, I believe we end up, in fact, getting close and closer to God, closer to others, and in fact, getting closer to who we are down deep. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said this, only to the degree, only to the degree that people are unsettled is there any hope for them. Why would he say that? Only to the degree that people are unsettled is there any hope for them. Sometimes when we are shaken, sometimes when we don't know what is going to happen next, sometimes it is precisely those times that we have the most opportunity to grow. To grow into who God made us to be. To grow into who we know we are inside. To discover what it is that we are really made of. To grow closer and closer and closer to God. I've come to learn in my life that being unsettled, and I've seen this in the lives of so many other people, I have witnessed other people in their times of being totally unsettled, that such times can be and serve as the leverage to move us to lives of great meaning and purpose and compassion and empathy and faith and understanding and wisdom and getting over ourselves and not taking ourselves too seriously and joy and getting in touch with why God made us to begin with. There's great hope for us when things are unsettled. It is the soil through which we grow. So like it or not, and I don't like it much, I think this time can be a time of great blessing for us all. And so I pray over the days ahead that we will all each discover the blessings that are right in front of us and that we will all use this time with great intention to get back to what is most important in life and what always has been, which is love of God, love of others, and love of ourselves. What an amazing opportunity. And let us pray.